Well, I'm going to continue. Last week, um, I started teaching on what I call Galatians, putting the amazing back into grace. And I'm going to pick up where we left off. Uh, we tend to use a lot of Scripture, and uh, I, I'm, I don't tend to teach with like half a verse and three points. I tend to use uh, lots and lots of Scripture, and today will be no exception and probably more than usual. So again, Galatians putting the amazing back into grace. Now, you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. And, of course, I'll have it up here. I'm going to start in the New Living Translation, the NLT, which is uh, very good uh, for the book of Galatians in particular. It's, from all I gather, it's very consistent with the original and that type of thing. So, so if you remember uh, quickly, uh, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul really gives us the introduction to the, the whole letter that he was giving to the Galatians or that he wrote to the Galatians. And he says in verse 6, Galatians, we're going to start in chapter 2, but I'm talking from chapter 1 at the moment. Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He said, which really is no other gospel at all. He said, but there are people who are perverting the gospel and troubling you. So they're gospel perverts. That's what they are. Yeah. And so we get over into Galatia, uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, and then Paul is having his last meeting with pastors and elders. That's the last time he was ever going to see them. And so that account is in the book of Acts chapter 20. And then in verse 24, Paul says, he's talking to them, and he's talking about how he doesn't really know what the future holds is what he's telling them. He said, other than the fact that the Spirit of God testifies to me regularly that everywhere I go, I'm going to be persecuted. How about that for a ministry calling? Amen? <laughs> but he, he says, but, and this is verse 24, he says, but none of these things move me, and I don't count my life dear unto myself. In other words, I don't care if they kill me. And he told us that in Philippians. He said, look, I... I I have a desire to depart because that's far better. He said, I know I need to stay here so I can continue to help establish the foundation of the church. He, he said, but, you know, honestly, I'd much rather just get this thing over with and, and hit that, that retirement plan we all got waiting on us there. And he, he said, to live as Christ, to die is gain. But he said in verse Acts 20, 24, after he said that, he said, and to finish or to complete the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. And then he told us what that ministry is, to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And so, in, and he even says in there too, uh, as you read, I think we read to about verse 32 last week. Paul said the same thing. He said, men are going to arise. He said, even some of you are going to fall into error and will start perverting the gospel. So he uses that same thing. And then he tells them in, in, in verse 32, he tells them, he said, as he's getting ready to depart, he said, I commend you to the grace of God, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. So in Paul's departing words to his pastors, elders, and leaders, he says, if you do anything, anything, contend, hold on to, and share the gospel of God's grace. And so we see in the Galatian church that some people came in and tried to do what people often try to do in the church world today. 
And they say, yes, you got saved by grace. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. That's good. But you need to do A, B, C, X, Y, and Z in order to grow, in order to achieve God's blessings, in order to qualify for his blessings, in order to develop uh, and mature and do all this type of stuff. Or we'll say it this way. Well, you're saved by grace, but you're sanctified by your works and all this type of stuff. And then there's just any number of ways that people can put it. Well, we, we're saved by grace, but we stay saved by our works, which is outright heresy. Or we say you're saved by grace, but we need the law to teach us how to live. Any number of things that people come in and use to try to pervert the gospel. All right? And so we're going to pick up there on Galatians chapter 2 today. And this is just phenomenal, man. Um, if you're looking for revival, you can have revival in your own house just by reading Galatians chapter 2. All right? And so we're going to delve into it here. And, you know, I really don't know exactly how far we'll get because I don't have nearly enough time to cover everything I want to, but we'll just do the best that we can. Galatians chapter 2, New Living Translation, and I'm going to try to start here in verse 1 and see just how far we get. Now, I encourage you, uh, let the Scripture interrupt what you believe, and I have to challenge that myself with that all the time, you know? You know, how can you say it's all grace and we're not under the law? Well, I didn't say it. The Bible says it repeatedly, over and over, time after time, again and again. So I have to be mature enough to say, it doesn't matter if I don't feel like that's true. It doesn't matter if that's not what I've heard all my life. i got to stick with the Scripture. Amen? All right, Galatians 2.1, Paul says this. He says, then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. He said, I went there because God revealed that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message that I had been preaching to the Gentiles, the message of God's grace. He, he covers all of that in chapter 1. He said, I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand, check this out, did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. I say, what in the world does that have to do anything? That doesn't resonate with our church culture today. Today, the big struggle is not you have to be circumcised to be right with God. It's, 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 it depends on which group you belong to, but, well, you got to say, I had some guy, God bless him, I've known him, he's hallelujah, praise the Lord. Whatever, some guy messaged me about a year ago and said, uh, Jordan, I, from where my hometown is, he said, man, I heard you got saved and you're preaching and da-da-da-da-da-da. He said, I'm wondering, how did you get baptized? Did you get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit or in the name of Jesus only? I didn't even, I didn't even respond to him because there's contention over that. Well, Matthew 28 says this. No, Acts chapter 2 says this. And so people want to fight over, you know, did you get baptized the right way? Well, you're not really saved. You're saved, but you're not sanctified. You know, just any number of goofy rules that we can come up with, you know, that, that we try to add to what Jesus has done for us. And really, that's where a lot of heresy and works righteousness stems from. The, the lack of belief that what Jesus did for me was really enough. All right? Now, it's important to get this. Most of the modern church... Protestant evangelical type accepts grace 
in theory. But they strongly reject it in real life practicality. All right? And so, for example, I use this example very often. You think, you know, you go to any church that names Jesus, evangelical, Protestant type church, charismatic, you name it, and you say, we're not saved by our works, we're saved by grace through faith. And everybody says, amen. So that verse says, we are saved, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Everybody says, amen. Now think about that. That's a two-sided coin. If one side of the coin is true, the other side has to be true. And this is where we reject grace and the Scripture in real life. In theory, we say, yes, hallelujah, I'm saved by grace. Well, if I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, it's the gift of God. Now think about this. I'm not saved by my good works. Fair enough? If that's true, the other side of that coin has to be true. If I'm saved not saved by my works, then I cannot be unsaved by my bad works. Give me five, man. Good preaching, ain't it? Amen. That is good preaching. Now, now I come from a charismatic, word of faith background. So, and if you have a Pentecost, really if you've got a mainline Pentecostal background or a lot of charismatic backgrounds, you don't believe that. You know, not you. I'm saying generally speaking. Maybe you do. I'm not, you know what I'm, I'm saying? in a general sense. Uh, I was never taught that. We, our salvation was so good, you were always one unconfessed sin away from going to hell. Well, that's real good. You know, it, it's, I always felt like we were pulling the rug out from under people. Come to Jesus just as you are. He'll love you. He'll forgive you. He'll save you. So he forgives me of all my sins up to that point in one fell swoop. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. But after that, if I forget to ask forgiveness one single time, I'll burn in hell forever. No. That is not the truth. That's terrible. It's terrible that children of God, and I would venture to say everyone in this room has struggled with that at one time or another. What if I fall asleep and I forgot, I forgot one? It's sad that we have instilled in blood-bought children of God that their salvation is that weak and that insecure. It's wrong. I mean, every single parent in here, is it possible, is it even possible for your own kids to turn you against them or you'll stop loving them and abandon them and disown them? Of course not. Translation, you love your kids more than God loves his. If we adhere to that false theology that says I can unworks my salvation, which is terrible. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, I know that doesn't, you know, it didn't fit my theology either. It's just, it's the Bible, you know, if we're interested in that kind of thing. Hallelujah. Okay, check this out. Verse 4, talking about circumcision, the things that these people were trying to add to the gospel. He says, even that question came up, the circumcision with Titus. Now, check this out. This, he's really getting into it here. Verse 4. Even that question came up only because of some so-called Christians there, then he says, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and to take away the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Religion hates freedom. 
The Christian religion hates freedom. Amen. Check this out. Now, not authentic Christianity. I'm saying what we've added to it. All right? Then he says this. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. I love Paul's response. Check this out. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Now think about that. He, he says here they wanted to come. That, that's how messed up religion is. Think about this. You guys remember in the gospel of John, Jesus is going down the road here and his disciples are with him. And it says there was a man that was born blind. And that's, that's very sad, you know. And then they had the audacity to ask Jesus this. They said, who sinned to cause this man to be born this way, him or his parents? Religion thinks sin is bigger than Jesus himself almost. It makes more of sin. It's more conscious of sin than it is of Jesus and what he's done for us. Can you imagine the, the audacity? That is sick. Do you understand how sick that is? Can you imagine today if you went and visited uh, some type of assisted living thing, uh, facility or just any number of things like that, and there's someone in there that was, that was blind and, and born blind. Can you imagine walking up to them and they were in their right mind and you said, so, so tell me, uh, who sinned to cause you to be born blind? You or your parents? How could he, if he was born blind, what sin could, did he kick his mama too hard in the womb? Born blind. How could he have sinned to have caused this to happen? And that's just our good Christian love. Who sinned to me? We think the devil's ever. You must have sinned, brother. You opened the door to the devil. Well, Jesus closed the door on the devil once and for all. That's the door we should be concerned with. Amen? So they came to him, and they said that to him. And thank God Jesus corrected the situation and said, Today you're going to see the works of God. And that which glorifies God, which is the man's healing. All right? Trying to move on here. Moving a little slower than usual, and that's okay. It's probably good that I do. Uh, we're going to jump down a few verses here. I wish we had time to cover all of this. Let's pick up here in verse 11. Now, Paul starts talking about how he, he went and consulted with James and Peter and John, some of the elders, some of the pillars of the church is what he calls them, to make sure they were teaching the same thing on the grace of God. Check out verse 11. He says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. Can you imagine that? Peter walked with Jesus personally in the flesh. Paul did not. Peter is the one that Jesus says, Hey, What's my reputation? Who do, who's everybody saying that I am right now? He said, well, some people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're Jeremiah. Some, they, they basically think you're a prophet or one of the prophets. He said, yeah, that's good, Pete. Who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, bingo. That Jordan translation, that's not in the King James. Bingo. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. He said, and upon this rock the rock of who Jesus Christ is, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of God. 
And so Peter himself, we, we, we know he walked on water, man. We know the stuff that he did and, and all these types of things. You got Peter early on in the book of Acts walking around, pulling people up at temples, lame, getting them healed, shadow going on people, getting them healed, phenomenal things happening. And Paul comes along much later, years later, and has the audacity to stand up to Peter who was in error. That's a, the gospel was real to Paul. Now, I agree, there's, I am one of the most go along to get along, let, let's find the unity that we can and, and not focus on what we disagree on. Let's do all we can to, you know, you know what I'm saying, let's find the common ground and advance in that capacity however we can. Uh, and I, I'm not really into being contentious and debating and divisive and all that, I'm just not into that. But there are things we need to draw the line on, amen? And so Paul was drawing the line here. Now, look at verse 12. He says, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. Now, you guys understand this goes back to Abraham. That was a, the, that was a sign of Abraham's covenant. It was a type and shadow of the new birth, the old man, the flesh man being cut away and, and separated from us. That's what all that was a sign of, all right? He says this, but afterward, when some, some of the friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Man, I have seen this happen. Not, exact, not over circumcision, all right? But I've seen this happen in other capacities. A pastor friend of mine, a pastor person uh, that I've ministered with and this type of thing uh, in the past, uh, told me one time in their office, they said, look, I'm, I believe this, this stuff about God's love and about God's grace, but I can't preach it because so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so get mad at me when I do. Man-pleasing, caving in to pressure, stick with what's popular instead of the truth of the Word. You know, you could put it under whatever label you want to, but the fact of the matter is it's a sad reality. And I don't condemn them. I'm just saying it, 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 it can take a certain level of solidity in your own heart. You know what I'm saying? It's For me, let me put it this way. For me, when God started teaching me about grace, the truths of grace, pure biblical grace, when he started te- I didn't know anyone personally who believed these things like I do, like a man on an island. And it would have been real easy after all the criticism, after all the people coming against me. I'm not trying to get a pity story here. Sorry if it sounds that way. After all the stuff that happened to me during that time, uh, ministers coming against me, speaking against me, lies being told on me, goofy slander, just crazy stuff. It would have been real easy to have caved to the pressure. You know what I'm saying? Like, it'd be real easy to give in and say, yeah, yeah, you're right. We're going too far. Da, 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 da. But the problem is, I have to sleep at night. And it's kind of hard to sleep at night if your conscience is all jacked up because you're knowingly, intentionally compromising the gospel and failing God. Are you out there? All right. I know this is a little slow and different than usual, but hopefully we're, we're seeing these things. Check this out. Verse 13. He said, as a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living as a Gentile, why are you now, when the other Jewish people come to town, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow your Jewish regulations? 
You are a Jew by birth. You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Now, here we go, man. We're, he's about to bust this thing wide open. This is absolutely phenomenal. Verse 16. Paul gets into it here. He says this. Yet we know. Everybody say, we know. He says, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. Check this out. Now, check this out. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. That's one of those verses. If it wasn't right there in the book, looking you right in the eyeballs, you just couldn't believe it. America needs to return to God's law and get right with God. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So you can't have it both ways. You can't have return to God's law and get right with God. They're mutually exclusive. There's no such thing as that. The purpose of God's perfect, beautiful, phenomenal, holy law that He gave to the children of Israel was for the explicit purpose of showing humanity they could never get right with God through their works. That was the purpose of the law. That's what the book of Romans tells us repeatedly. It says that God came and He gave the law... Romans chapter 2, chapter 3, for the purpose that all could become guilty. So the law was given specifically so humanity could see their guilt. People, people were sinners and they didn't know it. So God says, well, i got to show them they're a sinner. Well, how do we do that? Give them a standard that they have to try to keep, but that they end up not being able to keep. And when they do that, the natural response should be, mercy, Help! You know, and that was the purpose. And that's what Paul goes on to say. He says, God gave the law so all could be declared guilty so that he could have mercy upon all. So if we, you ever read the Bible and you're reading all this stuff and you're th you get, you know, I, I can't do this. You've read it correctly. That's the point. You can't do it. That should, that's a proper response. And it should be, help! You know, that's the point. That's the purpose of the law. We, sh we should always, in one sense, be ever present and conscious of our own inability and insufficiency. Now, Paul said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, we're ministers of Christ, not through our own sufficiency. And we've been taught so many of for so long that you just need to be stronger. You need to get it together. You need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to da-da-da-da-da. You call yourself a Christian, da-da-da-da. All this kind of stuff. And Paul said it's the total, it's the total opposite of that. Our sufficiency is not of ourselves it is of Christ. All right? Now, let's keep reading here. Verse 17. Is this good or what? Thank God for the book of Galatians. Verse 17. He says, But suppose that we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Which is kind of wordy and confusing there. In other words, that can't happen. But nonetheless, he says, Would that mean that Christ has led us to sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law that I already tore down. Check this out, verse 19. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. It always will. You ever had a police officer pull you over 
and hand you a gift card and just congratulate you for being such a good driver? Has anyone had that happen? That'd be a trip if you did. But you won't. The law is not there to compliment you. The law is not there to tell us how good we're doing. The law is always there to show us what we're doing wrong. And that's the purpose, and that's the point. All right? It says this. He said, so I died to the law. I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. Now, Paul says the same thing basically in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, specifically in verse 4. Paul said, so I have died. By the way, side note, Romans 7, 1 through 4 is not about Christian marriage. It's not his point. He uses the, the talking, he talks, he uses those phrases about marriage and uh, your spouse dying on. That is not what he's talking about. That's not the verses for Christian doctrine on marriage. Okay. But he says this. He said, we're, we were married to the law, but the law died. And then he says this, and we died to the law, like he's saying here, so that we might be married to another, Christ, so that we can bring forth fruit unto God. All right? So we're dead to the law. We're divorced from the law. We're not under the law. All of those are verses, by the way. Now check that out once again. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. Verse 20. This verse, by I've got this thing tattooed on the inside of my eyelids, man. Galatians 2.20 is one of my favorite verses. He says, I'm joking, but he says this. He says, my old self, now, now please, we're going to start getting into some stuff here that is just going to, that may very well flip your wig. And if your wig needs flipped, then thank God for it. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. Check that out. My old self has been crucified with Christ. I couldn't tell you how many sermons I've heard on how you need to crucify yourself, crucify your flesh, you need to die to self. And I don't know of one single verse anywhere that teaches us to do that. Paul teaches repeatedly, specifically in the book of Galatians, and we're going to see it more and more here, that we have died, that we did, we were crucified with Christ. The message of the gospel is not you need to die. The message of the gospel is you died and you resurrected with him. I heard Brother Hagin say it one time. He said, die to self. He said, why would I want to die to self? My true self is created in God's image and likeness, and I sure don't want to die to that. Did you catch that? Okay, and thank God for that. Paul said this. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, he said, the King James says, reckon ye yourselves indeed dead unto sin. So Paul said, you don't need to die to sin. You need to believe that you already died to sin and that you've been made new, alive anew with Christ. All right? Does that make sense? All right. Praise God. Now, he says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, last verse in the chapter here, verse 21. He says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Paul, how, how could we treat, how does that happen? Because I don't want to do that. How do I, King James says, frustrate the grace of God. How do I frustrate the grace of God? Or how do I treat it as meaningless? Well, he tells you. 
and the rest of the verse. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, now, now think about this. If keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So, that, I mean, I don't know how much more clear, you know, Paul could make, make the, that reality or the situation there. There is no co-mingling of, yes, we need grace, but we also need to keep the law. There's no such thing as that. Not biblically, not correctly. People try. I've heard, I've heard it preached. I've heard it preached. I've heard preachers say it, you know, and you all have. You know, you saved by putting your trust in Jesus and obeying his law, and then you'll go to heaven. Wrong. A thousand times wrong. Now, you think about, we say it, and I share this very often, but you think about some of the stuff that we say there, and we, we, what we do, the phrase is cherry pick. We try to pick the parts that we think are the law. I have never met a single Christian that I know of who could tell me all 613 commandments of the Jewish law. No, how can I keep all of them if I don't even know them? Most Christians, when I was a Bible college teacher, I gave a pop quiz one day out of nowhere and had everyone in the school to uh, try to write down all Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, you know. I had one or two that got like eight of them, but nobody could do all ten. I had a pastor. I was in their office, look me in the eyes and say, Now, Jordan, I can't tell you all the Ten Commandments, but we're still under them. How do you deal with that kind of ignorance? I don't know either. What do you do with that? Now, you think about it. You think about uh, just the Ten Commandments specifically. You think about, uh, I think very often, because it's the most relatable in some ways, the Sabbath. All right? So, of course, most Christians would tell you Sunday's the Sabbath, and it never was and never has been. The Sabbath was always from, when is it? Friday at sundown until Saturday at sundown. So Friday night, if I take Kara out on a date, we're Sabbath breakers. Saturday morning, if I cut the grass, if I spray some weeds, if I take the kids to the mall, if I do something, I am a bona fide, heathen, sinful Sabbath breaker. And what's the penalty for breaking the Sabbath under the law? Take them outside the gates, stone them to death. So, <laughs> amen, preach it, brother. <laughs> I mean, you think about how goofy that is. We're under the law. Well, which part? There's no such thing as, well, we're under this part. We're not under this part. We're not under that part, but we're under this part. Well, there's no Bible for that. And, and I don't know how to make it any plainer to people because people reject that just because it's different from what they've heard despite the fact that it is 110% unbiblical. It's not only, it's not just not there. It is contrary to Scripture to try to say we're under the law, any part of it. Now, again, we're not against the law. The law served its purpose. Now, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, the law is not made for a righteous man, a justified man, or a born-again person. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin was made sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So if I'm born again, which is literally synonymous with being righteous, justified, accepted, right before God, however you want to put it, then the law is not made for me. The law's purpose was to show me my guilt. Was there anything wrong with the law? Absolutely not. The problem was, one, was on my end. Because of my spiritually dead nature, I couldn't achieve that standard of perfection. 
And if I come to that conclusion, I've understood it correctly. Now, I think about, uh, you think about some of the animals. You, you can go look this stuff up. Think Daniel, his son Aiden, loves horses. Horses are an unclean animal according to Jewish regulation or Jewish law. So every time he touches that horse, he needs to go through like a three to seven day cleansing ritual. Camels, I don't know if anybody, I've actually pet a camel before, but uh, camels are unclean. Catfish, anybody like catfish? Anybody like That's unclean. You are a sinner. We got to clean you and, uh, you know, let the high priest come and examine you and all this kind of stuff. There is no such thing. I know I'm being over the top repetitive today. My apologies if, if it's uh, overbearing for you a little bit here. But it's, it's time the church does like Paul and draws a nice little line right there in the sand and be very clear and very distinct that we're not going to frustrate the grace of God or, as the NLT puts it, we're not going to treat it as though it's meaningless. Well, how do we do that, Paul? By saying that we're saved by grace, but we have to do X, Y, and Z to stay saved. That is heresy 101. When Satan taught demons, when, when the demons came to, to class for Satan and he taught them how to go out and send heretical doctrine and how to pollute and pervert and distort and twist the truth, that was one of the first things he taught them. Tell them they get saved by grace, but they stay saved by works. That is a heresy. My son London, my daughter Haven back there, neither one of them did anything to contribute to becoming my child. Neither one of them will ever have to do anything to remain being my child. They're mine by birth. And frail, subject to failure, faulty human beings such as we are, there's that type of security in sonship and relationship. How much more those of us who've been born of another bloodline, the blood of Jesus, into the family of God. Amen. We're not figuratively poetically, metaphorically children of God. We're literally children of God when we faith, place our faith in Jesus. Whew. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I've done it again and preached myself happy. And we're going to have to stop here, and I didn't get anywhere that I wanted to get to. Will you give me two more minutes? I just want to read something to you. Two, two minutes, ten. Shut him up. No, two more minutes. I'm going to read something to you here out of Colossians chapter 2, and I'm done. A few verses. Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to start here. The whole chapter is great, by the way. I'm going to start in verse 16. Still in the NLT. Paul says this. Now, I want you to listen to this, folks. This is phenomenal. He says, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or for, you dr for what you drink. Bacon may not be the best thing for you, but it won't send you to hell, and it won't put you out of fellowship with God. Amen? He said, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. Now, now, look at this. For these rules, did you catch that? Those, those are old covenant rules. For these rules are only shadows of the reality which was yet to come or yet to come but Christ himself is the reality. So what's the Sabbath? That's one he, said, he mentioned Sabbath there. What's the Sabbath? It was a day where they had to rest. It was a type and shadow, Hebrews 3, Hebrews chapter 4, that a person enters into the rest of God, salvation, not by their own works. 
but by trusting in Christ. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And that's, what, that, that's why God was so stringent on that in the Old Covenant. In Book of Numbers, they caught a guy picking up firewood one day on the Sabbath. They said, what do we do? They said, we don't know what to do. Go ask Moses. Moses said, I don't know. I'll go ask the Lord. The Lord said, take him out and stone him. It was a type and shadow. You can't be saved by your works. All right? And that's hard. And that's why he said, labor, therefore, to enter into rest. It's hard, it's hard and offensive to my religious flesh to tell me that I can't contribute something to my salvation. But Paul said repeatedly, where is boasting? There's not any. It's only trust in him. All right. He says, don't let anyone condemn you by, look, look at this, by insisting on pious self-denial. I was told that's Christian maturity. But he says, don't let them condemn you over their own pious, got to die to self, die to flesh, stop this, stop that. He said, don't let anyone con condemn you for that stuff or the worship of angels saying that they have seen visions. I believe in visions, but I don't believe in basing my doctrine on visions. I don't care if my favorite preacher on the planet has a vision. I'm going to, at the end of the day, when I'm considering truth and doctrine, I'm going to the Word of God. I don't care who had a vision. And far too many of my charismatic friends can't say the same thing. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I understand the struggle with that specific area. But we need to be mature enough to say, God bless him or God bless her, but I can't help that. That's their vision. That's between them and God. I'm sticking to what I see in the Word. That's maturity. All right. He said, their sinful minds have uh, made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and, and grows as God nourishes it. Here it is again. For you have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world, so why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Well, Paul, I follow them because I was told that's holiness. I was hold, told I have to do that to be right with God. That's why I follow them, Paul. Didn't you get the memo? Apparently, Paul didn't go to the same seminaries that we have. All right. Then he says, such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. Check this out, last verse. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. That is phenomenal. That absolutely, hallelujah, amen, splits and flip, flips my wig, man. Because we've, we've all probably to some degree been told that is maturity, that is growth, that is spirituality. Paul said those are man-made rules that are going to deteriorate. His points being, you get into Colossians 3, which we can't do today, don't have time. He expounds on it more and tells us, he, tell, he says things like, Christ is our life. Think about that. Jesus is our life. He's not merely in our life. He's not a part of our life. He is our life. But that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. Praise God. Stand up and we'll close.